0: Take me to verse 1, please. John chapter 11, verse 1. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 2. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You remember that alabaster box lady? This was her. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's a bold prayer. Lord, the one you love is sick. Some takeaway points from verses one through three I want you to have. Notice firstly, The family's relationship with Jesus didn't start with Lazarus' sickness. It's not like Lazarus got sick and they said, oh, we better go and start a relationship with Jesus. Most of the miracles in the New Testament gospel account of Jesus' life, most of the miracles started just somebody got in trouble. They needed to go get to Jesus. There was no previous relationship. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, never knew him, never had a conversation with him, just pushed through the crowd, grabbed the hem of his garment, got her healing. You remember blind Bartimaeus, never had a conversation with Jesus. He heard that he was passing by, so he screamed on the highway side, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and he got his healing. The lame man was healed when he was lowered into Uh, A room after his friends tore off the roof. He had no prior connection with Jesus. He just got in a mess, was in trouble, and needed help, so they went to Jesus, but this family story is not like that. They had an established relationship with Jesus Christ. Mary had been a prostitute, came by one of Jesus' meetings, and he cast seven devils out of her. He restored her. He changed her life, They began to follow his teaching. She introduced him to her sister, Martha. She introduced him to her brother, Lazarus, and they were people who were invested into Jesus' ministry. They were people who fellowshiped with Jesus regularly. They had a relationship. Point number one, develop a relationship with Jesus before trouble. Develop a relationship with Jesus before trouble. The reason I say this is I want you to notice two little hidden things in the text. This family's previously established relationship with Jesus gave them two things. It gave them knowledge and it gave them confidence. Where's the knowledge in the text? Well, it says in verse three, they sent word to Jesus. He's not in their town. He's not in their village. There's no telegrams, no fax machines, no email, but even though he wasn't with them in the moment, they knew where he was and they knew how to get a hold of him. People who have an established relationship with Jesus always know how to get a hold of him. If you've been in the faith for any amount of time and you've walked with God for any amount of time and you get in trouble. There's probably somebody that you know that you will call and ask them to pray for you. There's a lot of people you won't call. There's a few, maybe one or two people that you will call. Why? Because you trust their relationship with Jesus and you trust they can get a prayer through. Because people who have a relationship with him always know how to access him. The second thing I want you to notice is the confidence. They said they sent word. That means they knew where it was. But then look at the word that they sent. Lord, the one you love is sick. That's audacious. That's to say, I don't know what you're doing now. I don't know the kind of situations that the people are in, in the town where you're currently located. But over here, the one you love is sick. Imagine being able to talk like that to God with that kind of confidence. God, the one you love, is sick. God, the one you love, is in need of a financial breakthrough. God, the one you love, is in trouble in their marriage. God, the one you love, is sick. The confidence came, not because they were super holy, not because they were living cleaner and better than everybody around them. The confidence came because they had a healthy relationship with Jesus. They sent word to him. Essentially, they're praying. He's not in their location, so they've got to send word. So that's essentially praying like you and I, when we pray. Point number two, when you have built relational equity, God, I love that word. When you're building relational equity with God, it allows you to pray with confidence. All of us have prayed those prayers, you know, that have no confidence. You know, you've, you've been living kind of crazy and doing whatever you wanted to do, and then something came up and hit you upside the head—a problem that you don't know how to solve—and you pray, "Those Lord, you know, if you're there, Lord, if if you're listening, Lord, if there's any way possible, you know, from now on I'm gonna go completely straight and there, I'll be I'll be totally good. I, I just I won't do it." And and you don't have a whole lot of confidence because there's not a whole lot of relationship. But when you've got a whole lot of relational equity built with. The Lord, when you've been in His Word, when you've been in prayer, when you've been in His house, when you're a worshipper, when you're quick to worship the name of the Lord and praise the name of the Lord, it gives you confidence to go to Him with bold prayers. And I want to tell you a secret about prayer: the secret to having your prayer answered and answered quickly is praying with boldness. So whatever you've got to do in your life, whatever you got to change in your life, whatever you got to shift in your life to be able to pray with boldness when you pray pray with boldness when you pray pray with expectancy when you pray pray like you believe and know that god is going to do what you ask him to do if you're going to take the time to pray pray like you know the one you love It said, i know you're going to come and answer this prayer they had absolute confidence because they had A relationship, when you pray like that, it moves God. Lastly, I want to tell you, don't take your prayer life for granted. A lot of your answers are as simple as getting on your knees and pouring out your heart to God. When you have a relationship with God, when you walk with God, when you love God, when you know God and you pray, God is a God who answers prayers. From Genesis to Revelation, he's a God that answers prayer. Whatever your denominational background is, you have to agree. He is a God that answers prayer. He's a God that answers dirty people's prayers. He's a God that answers messed up people's prayers. He's a God that answers broken people's prayers. If you have the faith and confidence to bow your knee and to extend your heart to Him, God will answer your prayer. You need a whole lot less therapy if you would start praying. You need a whole lot less medication if you would start praying. Your house would be a whole lot stronger if you would start praying when all hell comes in and comes against you and fights you. The believer only needs to begin to reach out to God in prayer and your God will answer your prayer. If a former prostitute like Mary, who he had to cast seven devils out of, could bow down and pray, don't tell me you can't pray. I don't care what you've been in in your past. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what life has said about you or people have said about you. God wants to hear you talk. God wants your words. God wants the petition of your heart. God wants you to pray. So they prayed, the the one you love, the one you love is sick. And their prayer was effective because he did respond but his response was four days late how do you deal with the delays of God look at verse 4 when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick He said these words to his disciples. He didn't say it to Mary and Martha. It would have been comforting if he said it to Mary and Martha, but he said it to his disciples. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God that God's son may be glorified through it. Verse five is puzzling. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse six is what makes verse five so puzzling. Jesus loved them, verse six, so. So he loved them. How did he love them? He loved them so that when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I just got to tell you, that ain't my love language. You say you love me and I need you. You wait in two days. Ain't my love language. But evidently it was God's. Because it said, because he loved them, when he got the urgent prayer request, the need that he was needed now, he stayed where he was two more days. Problem with this is the location. He's two miles away. 30-minute walk? I mean, Jesus is a young man. He's 33. Maybe a 30-minute walk, right? You, You love me so much that you won't walk two miles. He loved him, so he stayed where he was two more days until Lazarus' sickness turned into death. And here's the reason. Because raising Lazarus from the dead is greater than healing Lazarus from a sickness. Right. right? So he loved them so much that he waited. He loved them so much, he knew what they were asking for wasn't great enough. And he had greater in mind. Point number three, when you pray and your situation goes from bad to worse, it's because God has greater in mind. Now, it hurts while you're walking through the process, but God loves you so much that when you ask for this and He has intended to give you this, sometimes He'll wait till the door shuts on this. And hope for this is completely gone and you turn back to him disappointed and then give you greater than you asked for some of you know what that's like some of you prayed for a spouse I mean Johnny was the one right he was the one you sowed you prayed you cried you laid at the altar Lord if you'll just give me Johnny and then God shut the door And now that you're married to Fred, every day you wake up and say, Lord, I just want to thank you that you didn't give me the first thing I asked for because you had greater in mind. And I would have never got to the greater if you would have given me the lesser that I didn't know was lesser at the time I was asking. So thank you for loving me enough to keep the door shut long enough for me to get my head straight and get to this place. Some of you prayed for promotions on jobs that now you thank God you got fired from. Because if they wouldn't have fired you from that one you would never be owning your own business continually walking in the purpose that God had designed for you. And back when you prayed for the promotion you had no idea that that promotion wasn't your purpose you had to walk with God long enough to find out that when he closes a door it's not because he hates you when he closes a door it's because he loves you enough to give you greater and because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much he didn't want to heal him because resurrection is far greater I want to tell somebody whose heart is breaking because your prayer hadn't been answered. If your prayer hadn't been answered, keep on praying. Greater is coming. I don't know who you are in the room. I don't know what you're going through. But if you've been wondering, does God hear me? I came to tell you, yes, he does. And he's got good things in store for you. If the door is shut right now, if the door has slammed closed and something's not opening up for you the way you were praying that it would, keep on trusting him because God's delays are not his denials. If he's holding off right now, it's because he has greater in store for you. Your father loves you your father has brought you this far he didn't bring you this far to leave you and if the answer is no on this it's because there is greater in your future I don't know where you are I wish I could come tap you on the shoulder but God told me to tell you greater is in your future he is the God of greater Verse 17, when the God of greater shows up on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. When Jesus arrives, he finds a family that has been wrecked. First of all, I have a pretty extensive library of commentaries, and most of the commentators agree. Martha, though she was a woman of great financial means, she was a widow. Her husband had died. Mary, she had been a prostitute most of her life. Wasn't married. A lot of people knew her reputation. She couldn't get a husband. And in Bible days, I don't have to accentuate this. You're intelligent enough to know history's not always been kind to women. In Bible days, they had no voting rights, no voice politically, couldn't have a voice about what was going on with their community. They had no voice in the courts. So if there was a legal dispute and you didn't have a man to represent you, you lost. So Lazarus was their covering. He was their stability. He was all they had. He was the stabilizing force in the family. Every family's got one. Your family's got one. You're either receiving from one or you are one, but every family's got a stabilizing force. And so with Lazarus removed, now their future is in question. Their prosperity is in question. Because even in a bargaining dispute, one of the commentaries brought this out. Even in a bargaining dispute, if you were selling property or trying to make an investment, a woman couldn't bring a case against another man. So they they were vulnerable to being cheated. They were vulnerable to being swindled now that Lazarus was gone. And Jesus arrives and he reveals four attributes about himself that I want to share with you. Number one, the tears of Jesus. When Jesus reaches Mary, she asks him a question every believer asks during tragedy and difficult times. Where were you? That's only a question you can ask if you've got a previously established relationship. Okay. If I call one of you, you know, if, if you come to See Life and I get your number off the list and and I call you and say, hey, I just had a blowout, would you come pick me up? And you arrive five hours late. I'm not gonna say, where were you? Now, if I call Derek and Derek shows up five hours late, Why? Because there's a long-term relationship. So so when he shows up, out of the relational dynamic they had, where were you? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. So strange to me. These next few parts, they're just a theological conundrum to me. Because when she says that to him, he doesn't even answer her. He just bursts into tears. And the scripture says, Jesus. Well, it bothers me saying it. First of all, you do realize we don't believe, and no reasonable person does that reads the scripture. We don't believe that Jesus is an extension of God. No. We don't believe that Jesus is a prophet of God. Oh, no. Jesus is God he is the physical tangible expression of the spiritual God we believe Colossians 2 9 that in Jesus dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily We believe, John chapter 1, that Jesus was the word in the beginning that was spoken, saying, let there be, let there be, let there be, that created all material and matter, that God constituted supernaturally that word he used to speak everything into being and made it come into flesh form, that God borrowed a virgin named Mary's womb and brought himself into the physical earth in physical form, but he was never any less God when he was one month old he wasn't any less God when he was five years old he wasn't any less God Jesus is God which means he knows all of the mysteries and the details of the created world he knows all of the mysteries and the details of the galaxy he is all-knowing he knows everything and he's crying and it bothers me Because Jesus comes into the situation with two things no one else has. Number one, he's got infinite knowledge. He knows that in 10 minutes, Lazarus is going to be living again. Number two, he's got infinite power. He knows that he's the one that's going to raise Lazarus back up. And yet, he's weeping. When I read the text and I play out the scenario in my mind, I want to scream, why are you crying? Why is he weeping? He's making the descent down into their grief and willfully suffering with them. Because before he is anything, he is love. And love is not love in the absence of empathy. Don't tell me you love me and you're never concerned about how I feel. Don't tell me you love me and you never want to see it from my perspective. Don't tell me you love me and you're always concerned about how you saw it and how you feel about it and what you think about it. Don't tell me you love me if you never check my view of it, if you never check my emotions on it, if you never investigate how I'm dealing with it. Don't say you love me if you have no empathy, you liar. So because he is love, he goes down the rabbit hole of her grief. He enters it with her. He does not allow his knowledge or his power to keep him from entering the suffering, proving to us that he is not just the savior of our souls by shedding his blood. He is the sharer of our suffering by shedding his tears. God cares about how you feel. God cares about what you're going through. God feels the pain. Those of you still struggling with the loss of a loved one that you still haven't been able to get over, God knows how you feel because he made himself know. He made himself lower his own God consciousness down to your human and finite understanding so that he could know how it felt at three o'clock in the morning when you rolled over with a tear streaming down your nose saying, God, it hurts so bad. He knows How you feel. Number two, second attribute, the anger of Jesus. Verse 38 Jesus once more deeply moved. Jesus once more deeply moved. The more you study Greek, the more you begin to detest certain translations of the English Bible. Because those words deeply moved in the Greek are not deeply moved. When you say deeply moved here, it sounds like a like an emotional or a sadness or no, that word in the Greek means quaking with rage. Once again, quaking with rage, he came to the tomb. Tears in his eyes, hands rolled into fists jaws clenched nostrils flared shaking with rage now anger is a part of grief but most people misplace it grieving people often either blame god blame other people or blame themselves and so they direct their anger one of those three places during grief jesus does none of the three he's not angry with the father He's not blaming himself for waiting two more days. He's not blaming other people. Jesus steps on the scene quaking with anger and rage. And he's directing it towards death and the grave. His insides are growling with anger at the sting of death and the grip of the grave. He hates them. He still hates them. Even after his own bodily resurrection after he took the keys to death hell in the grave He was still taunting them. Oh death Where is your sting? Oh grave? Where is your victory? They were his enemies then they are his enemies now even though he's triumphed over his foes he still hates them and he knows that his purpose The reason he's standing at Lazarus tomb shaking with anger is his purpose is to break the power of death and the grave so he has come up to declare war against his two enemies the anger of Jesus number three the truth of Jesus Mary got his tears Martha got his truth verse 21 through 25 Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know you will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Martha, you're talking to what you're talking about. You're standing with what you're standing on. I am the thing you are believing for. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the truth concerning every believer that dies. But this truth includes a prerequisite. Do you believe this one day, brothers and sisters, and I hope it's a long time from now, but one day you will die. But if you live believing that truth, I just said, then you will not die completely because one day even your body will be supernaturally resurrected from the dead. If you died, believing in Jesus. But you have to believe this. One day, the power of Christ's resurrection would overwhelm and overpower all of our deaths, but only if you live believing this. That's why you got to be connected to a church. That's why you got to make the decision and the sacrifice to come to church every single time that you can. Because your faith in this that I just said is built through hearing the word of God preached. And if you have to live believing this to have this, then you need to live having the gospel perpetually preached in your ears to your spirit. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't say he wasn't, he wasn't embarrassed of it. He's saying I'm not ashamed to tell you the same message over and over and over and over and over again because it is the message concerning Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation you are saved by hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ your sins are forgiven by hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ your body is healed by hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ your family is secured and kept safe by hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to hear it and you have to believe it. So he gives her the truth and then he asks, do you believe this? And then finally, number four, the grace of Jesus. The text comes to an electrifying crescendo as Jesus speaks to a dead man and talks him out of the grave. I just have to stop in wonder and awe that our God is so powerful that he talked him out of the grave. And The truth of the matter is that's what he did to every one of us that he saved. We were in a grave of our sin and our degradation and our moral depravity and our filthiness and God sent a word and just talked us out of our death, talked us out of untimely deaths, talked us out of deaths. We would have died if we would have kept doing what we were doing. He talked us out. Have you ever had him talk you out of something? Have you ever been on your way to do something and the Holy Spirit just begins to move on you gently and you'll have God talk you out of something that would take you down into a grave. He he talked some of you some of you have forgotten how many times he had to send a word and talk you out of doing something stupid with your holy and righteous self as long as you've been saved every now and then you still get right on the edge and you're almost about to fall over but right before you do he'll come and talk you out of the grave he he sent a word and he just he just talked Lazarus he just talked Lazarus And and then it says, it says uh, that that he says, Lazarus, come forth and the dead man. Yeah, the dead man. Verse 44, the dead man came out. That means that the word that started his heart to beating. The word that started the process of regeneration was still working on him when he set up. That word was still making the blood vessels open and all the carpillaries expand and all of the tissue begin to regenerate. That means when he took his first step, that word was still working on him. And I love that because that's what happens when we get saved. When he calls you out of the grave that you were living in, you don't come out completely clean and pure and have the right mindset and treat everybody nice and have a perfect righteous attitude and a perfect holiness. You know, I hear all these testimonies about somebody. I came down to the altar. I had 39 and a half years of issues and I prayed one prayer and I never had any issues again. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When God saves us, it's a progressive salvation. You get a little better and a little better and a little better and a little better and if he keeps talking to you you get better and you get better and you get better That means at the time Lazarus was trying to get out of that grave, there was death and life working in him at the same time. But the Word is so powerful. If you ever get it in your system, the Word will eventually drive death all the way out. It'll drive sickness all the way out. It'll drive generational curses all the way out. It'll drive mindsets and systems of thinking all the way out. The Word is power. So so the dead man... The dead man came out. The dead man came out. I speak to somebody that's in some dead circumstances doing dead work, sin that leads to death. I speak to you in the name of Jesus and I send you the word of the Lord. Come out of there in Jesus name. I speak to you watching online. Come out of that cycle in Jesus name. Come out of those drugs in Jesus name. Come out of those pills in Jesus name. Come out of that depression in Jesus name. It's as powerful as one word from God and somebody in here, God brought you here today to hear this one word. God said to come out he loves you so much he hasn't let it get you yet he's preserved you and he's kept you a lot of the stuff you've done other people have done and they are dead in the grave this morning but somehow by God's grace you've been able to survive some of you it makes no sense that you're still here some of you you should be in the ground cold today but God's grace has kept you and he kept you so you could hear this word come out of that thing I don't know what it's in I don't know how long you've been in it but God said come out and the dead man the dead man the dead man that's why you got to be thankful and you got to recognize that you go to a loving church because there's one thing about us we ain't gonna judge you here you can come here with your grave clothes on you can come here still looking and smelling like whatever you came out of you can come here with your face still wrapped up and mummified from the mess you've been in you can come here in any condition because as long as the word is getting to you the word will loose you the word will clean you up the word will straighten you out the word will heal you the word will bless you If you're a lesbian in here, please keep coming. If you're a homosexual, please keep coming. If you're a drug addict, please keep coming. If you watch pornography, please keep coming. If you're broken in all the wrong places, please keep coming. If you're a liar, please keep coming. If you're a cheat, please keep coming. If you're a drunk, please keep coming. Whatever you got wrong with you, please keep coming. Because God loves you right where you are, and He's got a word for a some doctrine to that the first thing that happens in the life of the believer when the new birth experience of salvation takes place the first thing that happens is he confronts the death in you and brings new life into your death that's the born again experience But then people get born again. They're just like Lazarus. They still are wrapped up and tied up with the grave clothes of their death experience. Just like you, when you first got saved, you accepted Jesus and you were born again. Problem was, you were still tied up with all the grave clothes that were on you from living in the sickness and chaos of this world. So Jesus tells the attendants that are around. He tells the church go over there untie him take the grave clothes off that's what you're supposed to do as a church not on the street corner judging people telling them they're going to hell you're supposed to be positioned so that when jesus wakes somebody up from the dead you can help take the death off of them you can help take the stink off of them you can help cover them in righteousness I don't know why church people gossip worse than the world. We're putting grave clothes on people with our mouth instead of taking them off people with our love. Love covers a multitude of grave clothes. He said, come out of that. Take those off. Got some new ones for you. In other words, I don't want you dressed in the filthy, decomposing rags of your past. My grace has something new for you to walk in. And I don't care how bad it's been in your life, God sent me here to tell you that His grace has something new for you to walk in. I'm just trying to help you out of those clothes I know it sounds risque I know it sounds taboo but I'm just trying to help you out of those clothes touch your neighbor say I'm just trying to help you out of those clothes he said take those off him take them off of him don't leave him in the condition that you found him I didn't ask you to save him Teachers listen to me, leaders listen to me, Jesus never asked you to save them. He just asked you to help unravel the years of pain and abuse and bad mindsets they picked up and habits they picked up, take those off of him. And if your brother be overtaken in a fault, Paul. If your brother is overtaken in a fault. He didn't say if your brother has a fault. He says if your brother's tied up like a mummy in the grave clothes of his former life. Let the spiritual ones among you. Restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness or humility. Considering your own self. Before you talk about my grave clothes, take a little trip down memory lane. Because you like to judge everybody else and you done forgot how bad your grave clothes was stinking when Jesus and some loving people took yours off you. Ain't Don, I did it again. I preached too long. So the grace of Jesus woke him up, then gave the instruction to the church on time. That's what I hope you're getting every time you come to church on Sunday at Christian World. I hope you leave a little less tied. I hope you leave a little freer every week. I hope you leave a little healthier every week. I hope you leave with a little spiritual and mental mobility every week. That's what we're called to do. We're we're called to untie the people that Jesus wakes up from the sleep. And Jesus, uh, Jesus' grace untied him. But then, I don't know if you noticed that in verse 53. The Bible says that from that day, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Which means, ladies and gentlemen, that this was the miracle that got Jesus killed. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they said, oh, no. We can deal with him turning water into wine. In fact, I wish he'd do it for us. We can deal with him multiplying bread and fish. I can deal with him opening up blind Bartimaeus' eyes. But if he has the power to talk a dead man. Oh, my God, it's awesome. If he has the power to talk a dead man back into the living world, we got to do something with him. No, we got to do something with him. No, no, everybody in the world is going to believe in him. if we don't do something. We got to do something with him. We got to do something with him. We can't handle him. We can't handle him. He healed a deaf man last week. He healed a dead man this week. We can't, we can't handle him. And they had a meeting, and they made a decision after Lazarus' resurrection. We're going to kill Jesus. And Jesus knew the ramifications. He knew that raising Lazarus was going to get him killed. the only way to deliver lazarus from the grave was for jesus to dig his own and he knew it and he did it anyway Ooh. Ooh. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. He knew that waking you up from the death you were in, he knew it would kill him. And he did it anyway. This is the gospel that God died so that dead men and women can live. When he went to Calvary's cross, that was the exchange. He loved you so much. He saw the death that had gripped you. He saw the sin and the degradation and the past and the shame and the guilt and the mess. He saw it. And he loved you so much that he said, I'll lay down my life. If it gets me killed, I'm going to call you out. If it gets me killed, I'm going to get you delivered. If it gets me killed, I'm going to get you healed. If it gets me killed, I'm going to get you free. Whatever it costs me, I'm going to do it because I love you. That's the grace of Jesus. And that grace is available to every single person Who believes your race has nothing to do with it? The country you were born in has nothing to do with it. Your financial status has nothing to do with it. How you've lived your life up to this point has nothing to do with it. The only qualification is, do you believe this? He gave them his tears. He gave death and the grave his anger. He gave Martha his truth. He gave all of us his grace. Stand to your feet. Give the Lord a praise in the house this morning. bowed and your eyes closed I received the kind of report yesterday that every pastor hates getting one of our members from years ago has been battling cancer she passed away she's 35 years old she leaves behind two small children three small children and um, She sat in hundreds of services just like this. And I know, because I was there, I know where she is. She's with Jesus, because she believed this. Brothers and sisters, death is coming. It's appointed unto every single one of us a time to be born and a time to die. But if you believe this, Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe that the Father raised Jesus Christ the Son from the dead, and if you will confess in your, with your mouth and believe in your heart these things concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that you'll be saved. If you're not right with God, if your relationship's not right, if you're not where you're supposed to be, and you want to get right with him right now, it's as simple as a prayer, an outward confession, and an inward belief. If you're in this place and you want to make a public prayer, recommitting your life to God or maybe committing your life to him for the first time, those that believe in me, Jesus said, will never die. Never die. Never die. Your spirit will never die. Your soul will never die. And even your body, he won't leave here. One day, one day, every part of you will be resurrected just like he was. If you want to make that prayer and confession with me, everybody bow your head, close your eyes, and lift up your hand. Lift up your hand if if you want to make that. 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 You say, I want to recommit my life. I want to recommit my life. I want to recommit my life. Pray this with me in faith, Lord Jesus. I come in faith, I believe the gospel. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe he died. I believe on the third day, the Father God raised him to life. And I'm asking that you do the same for me. Let your resurrection power reign over me. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my wrong as I confess you today my lord and savior in jesus name give the lord a praise all over the house